been written and really geared to the whole idea of giving up on church. Often you'll see in these blogs there's been some hard experience in a church, or maybe multiple hard experiences, maybe terrible experiences. And, and in, in no way am I saying today that, that that means we are to ignore that. We are to pretend that the church uh, is never, uh, you know, a place where we could be hurt, is never a place where actually bad things can happen. They do. Church can be a place where people are often very unlike Jesus. And I'm not denying that. Matter of fact, that's, that's a reality. Sin can occur in churches sometimes very seriously. But if you read some of these blogs, they'll say, well, you know, this happened in my church, or I grew up and I had this experience, so I'm giving up on church. No longer need church. I'm just going to hang out with my friends and my Christian friends here and there, or I'm going to find fellowship through some other means, sometimes even just online. But it doesn't make sense on many fronts. One uh, one front, we can just think of, of the reality in, of other relationships that we have. We've all burnt, been burned by other people, right? Ha- have you ever been sinned against by someone else? Anyone? Yes, we all have. Have you decided because that happened, that, that you've been sinned against, you're giving up now on people? No more relationships in my life. I'm not going to relate to anybody. I'm just going to be by myself. We don't think like that, do we? We've been burned, but we, but we understand that those are... are individual exceptions or individual issues, it doesn't mean we give up the whole thing. You've ever been to a restaurant and had a terrible meal and a terrible waitress? Doesn't mean you stop eating out, does it? No, you don't give up on on restaurants. Maybe you had a bad teacher in school. I did. I was actually, my biggest problem was I was a bad student, not having bad teachers, but I had some bad teachers, but I didn't give up on education. So, So why are times of being burned in church, leading people to, to give up on church. It, it really flies directly in the face of God's word. And what I want to do today is just to talk about what God thinks about the church. And, and just, uh, as I say, just understand that I uh, am not skirting around. Matter of fact, I want to address the reality that the church can be a place where we're hurt. It can be a place that falls short. It, it is a place actually full of sinners and weak people. And as a result, things are going to happen that aren't always good. So I'm not ignoring that. And I'm not ignoring what you've been through. I, I want you to understand that that's really important uh, to me and to us uh, in leadership as a church. And really, I can probably speak for everyone in this church. It, it's important to them to hear and understand what you've been through and to care for you. But that does not negate, that does not make invalid, it, it does not, it should not obscure what God thinks about the church. And so I want to take some time today in this message, just as we start this mini-series, to talk about really what God thinks about the church. So that would kind of set a context, that would kind of flavor our lives and our perceptions and help us perhaps as we struggle with some difficulties in church and, 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 and develop in us a greater love for the church. I'm going to be reading a number of scriptures today, but I want to start out in Ephesians chapter 1, reading verses 15 through 23. So let me pray. I pray for God's blessing on the reading of his word and just his blessing on this message as well. Lord, we come to you and we ask for your help, God. Lord, we ask you to help us to 
understand your mindset. Help us to understand your heart. But Lord, more than just to understand it in our minds, we want to encounter it in our hearts. We want to encounter it in our lives. We want to be changed by you. We want our affections, our emotions to be touched as well, and and our lives and actions to be transformed. Lord, we need you for that to happen. That's a miracle. So we ask you, Lord, to bless the reading of your word preaching of your word and listening to your word this morning and through this to transform us, to teach us of your glorious ways, to show us your glory and to glorify your name through us we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. This is from a wonderful letter written to the church in Ephesus from Paul as he's introducing uh, some key concepts here, he says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all God's word from Ephesians chapter 1 15 to 23 I want to actually focus on verses 22 and 23 above all the other verses there's a uh, Wonderful truths throughout this whole section. Wonderful truths in the book of letter to the Ephesians, this book of the Bible. This is a a letter that uh, is written to the believers in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, which is probably comprised of a number of house churches uh, throughout the city. It's a large city. Uh, It's one of the largest in the Roman Empire. Uh, kind of probably about the equivalent in our modern world of a New York City-sized city for them. Um, and so this is to the church in Ephesus, spread throughout the, the city of Ephesus. And this is a letter full of Paul reminding them of the wonders of salvation, the wonders of what Christ has done through his death on the cross, paying for sins, for the sins of his people, for the sins of all who believe, through his resurrection his victory over sin and death, and then all that that means for them. And that's what he's getting into in, the, in this letter, is just saying, Here, here's what it means. Here's what you have in Christ. He, he wants them to know about the hope that they have, the riches that they have, and the power that they have through Christ. He's praying that for them, and he's teaching them that way, that they may ground their lives on that. He goes on from here to, to talk about implications from those truths, the, the implications for their lives, this new way of living, and this thing called the church that he has called them, that God has called them to, and how to live in the church. And probably 
probably of, of any of the letters of, of Paul and perhaps of any New Testament uh, book, this one has the most about the church. We can learn a lot about the church in here. What I want to do, actually, is kind of narrow down to the issue of the church, to verses 22 and 23 that talk about the church. And, and he's, what he's doing in this section of Scripture is he's wanting them to know about the, the hope and the riches and the power, and he wants them to know that the power of Christ is focused for them in the church, that all this power is, is in Christ, and it is for them. <clears throat> and then... He says something really profound. Verse 22 and verse 23, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's just amazing. That's worthy of a message or series of message in and of itself. But then he says, of the church, he says, Which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is his body. And the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is speaking of Christ, who is Lord of the entire universe, Lord over all. God himself cannot be contained in all of creation. And this word fill uh, or fullness is is in Ephesians quite a bit. And speaking just of the, the dominion, the power, the rule of Christ, the glory of God in Christ, filling the whole universe. But he says... His fullness is where? It's in the church. The church is his fullness. The church is the place where his fullness is demonstrated and experienced. This fullness that cannot be contained in the whole universe is shown in the church. That's that's fantastic. That's amazing. That he's, in a sense, putting the church on a level with Christ himself. The church is not Christ. But the church is so united with Christ that all the fullness of God in Christ is in the church. He says it in another way here, saying that the church is his body. That the church is his body, that that it is connected to Jesus. It is his body. And it's important for us to recognize that this is not a metaphor. He's not saying that the church is like Christ's body. Or a good way to describe the church is is, you know, it's, it's as if we're his body. No, he says the church is his body. The church is his body. And now, we know Jesus is a man. He has a physical body. And the church is not his physical body. That's not what he's meaning. But spiritually, the church is his body. The church is so connected with Christ. It is so united with Christ that it is his body body. That's an important concept. That's, that's a, a, a pretty wild concept. And I think that's kind of what I want us to get this morning. And I want to talk about some implications from that. I want us to get that the church, capital C church, I'll talk about that in a minute, the, the universal church, the entire church, but always connected to, comprised of, expressed by the small C church, a local, the local churches different churches throughout the world. That this church is the body of Christ. It is so united to Christ that it is his body. And it's connected with him and in many ways in Scripture put on par with him. And so to know Christ, to be united with Christ, 
necessitates that we know the church and be united to the church. And also, to love Christ is to love the church. They are inseparable. You cannot have, ultimately, Christianity without the church. That's part of the background in this verse. Now, I want you to be convinced of this. And and so there are some other verses I can take us through, and I want to do that right now. Just take us through some other verses that talk about this idea, and I hope uh, to, to persuade you with the weight of Scripture, but also perhaps to clarify some things. So let's take some time to go through some other verses. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. This is an interesting verse. Um, and <clears throat> what has been going on is Saul has been persecuting the church. He has been uh, arresting people and throwing them in jail, Christians, uh, particularly Jewish Christians. Uh, and he's throwing them in jail, and he believes he has the authority to do that. I think technically he does have the authority to do that. Uh, under the Jewish authorities. And he's persecuting the church, the people of God. And Jesus encounters Saul on the road to Damascus. Perhaps you know that story. Later his name becomes Paul, and he, he writes a bulk of the New Testament. But in that encounter, this is what he says. Speaking of Saul, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is saying, I am so connected to my people. I am so connected to the church that for you to persecute them is for you to persecute me. Let's look at some other verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, similar to our verse in Ephesians says in uh, chapter 12, verse 12, for just as the body is, speaking of the church, the body, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, speaking of the physical body, now that is a metaphor, but he says, so it is with Christ. He doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. He's using Christ and the church interchangeably here. That is amazing. That, that, and he's doing that on purpose. And then he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's look at one other section. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, it's a section of scripture we're familiar with. If you're married, uh, perhaps you studied this verse. Maybe you had it in your, your wedding. And maybe you caught its meaning. Maybe you missed its meaning. But let's listen to Paul, and and I just want to take some time to comment on it. He says in this section of Scripture, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A tall order, an amazingly tall order. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So husbands are to love their wives like Jesus loves the church, like Jesus loves his body. Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands are to regard their wives as one with themselves and to love them as they love themselves, just like Jesus loves the church in that union. He who loves his wife loves himself, he says. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Then says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to marriage. No. To Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. However, why does he say however in there? Because this verse is about Jesus and the church. That's the core of this verse in Genesis and the core of the idea of marriage. It's, this is something that God thought up and he thought first in reference to Christ and the church. And then marriage is to be a picture of that. This isn't a verse, this isn't a section necessarily or even primarily about marriage in Ephesians 5. It's about Christ and the church and it has implications for marriage. So this oneness, this oneness of a man and a woman, this idea that, that they would become one flesh is grounded in Christ's unity with the church, the oneness that he shares with the church. When I keep on saying church, think capital C and small c, both together. There's lots of other verses, and, and if you want to look up later and you're taking notes, uh, mark down Galatians 2.20. Romans 6, 5 through 11. Colossians 2, 9 to 15. Did you get that? Galatians 2, 20. Romans 6, 5 through 11. Colossians 2, 9 to 15. I'll just, we'll show a couple others here. John 17, I, I've shared this before. John 17, 22 to 23. Jesus is praying for his church. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So just as the Father and the Son are one, the church is one with the Son and the Father. There's this unity. And that's a reality for his people. We may not always feel it. We may not always believe it. We may not always express it. But it is reality. And our ability to believe it, remember it, and express it flows from grounding ourselves that this is our reality right now. And we are to regard the church and regard ourselves in light of this truth. One other verse just to look at, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. This is a, a really interesting verse, and and what's going on here is the Corinthian church is a mess. It's a church where a lot of people are getting burned. A lot of hurtful things going on. But, but God comes through the gospel, through Paul, bringing the truths of the gospel to bear, to bring correction and, and health to this church. And one of the things that was going on is that, that they were gathering for their regular worship time. And their worship format was a little different. They would gather in, in homes. They would have a meal together. They would share communion together. And then probably have a lot of the same elements that we have, just a smaller setting. They, they couldn't build buildings to have bigger groups together um, because it was not a legitimate uh, religion yet. Uh, also, a smaller gathering. We know through our small groups it can be such a healthy place for fellowship. So they were gathering together, but the problem was is that people who, they were mixed, they were a mixed multitude. They were wealthy people. They were poor people. 
there were prominent citizens, there were slaves all together in these churches. And they were coming together and some were hungry. And they brought their food. And before they could do communion together, before others could eat, they were eating themselves. And having a good time, maybe with their little clique among the wealthy people. While the poor people were not getting anything and they were, and they were not prioritizing the sharing of the Lord's Supper and all that that meant. So in that context, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So he's saying without discerning the body, and there's actually a double meaning there, I believe. He's meaning they're not discerning the body in the sacrament, that Christ is present. This is the body as we celebrate the sacrament together. But he's also meaning the body, the church. They're not discerning that this is the church this is Christ's church. And I am connected to my brother and sister in such a way that I am to regard them. I'm to prioritize them. I'm to recognize that this is the church, that Christ is with us. They were gathering together without living in light of this profound truth that the church is one with Christ, that the church is the bride of Christ. And when we come together, we're to discern the body. We're to recognize what the body is. And I think that's where we can fall short. We come together and we don't discern the body. We don't think about what it means. We don't see what's going on. And we think it's something else. I um, have you ever fallen asleep with your arms under your pillow and, your, and your, one of your arms falls asleep? That happens to me a lot, actually. I don't know why, but I'll fall asleep. And have you ever, like, reached over and touched your other hand and you can't feel it in that hand? And you're like, you know, for me, you'd be like, well, you know, there's a strange man in bed with us. Who is this hand? It's really freaky when that happens. And, and what's going on is because it's asleep, I don't discern that this is my body. And I think for us sometimes we can come together. We can come to church. And we reach out and we touch church or we touch people and we don't discern the body. This is just a person. This is just a gathering. This is really no different than coming together for a lecture or something like this. Or, you know, and we fail to perceive what God perceives. We fail to regard the church as God does. We fail to look at other Christians the way he does. We don't discern the body. We don't see others the way God sees them. How about you? Do you do that? Do you ever fail to discern the body? Do you ever come on a Sunday or go to a small group or, or even just relate with someone else and fail to recognize this person or this group is the church local or part of the church and as such they are one with Christ and to be regarded on the same level as Christ himself I, I hope that makes sense this truth and I hope you're challenged by it I'm challenged by it and my job is to discern the body all the time and yet I fall short I can relate to people without 
that in mind, without their oneness with the Lord, without remembering that this is the bride, this is the beloved bride of Christ. He shed his blood for this one. He has loved this one. He has loved these people from eternity. Before time began, he set his affections on this one and determined to give the most costly item in in all of history, all of creation, God himself in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, suffering on the cross to pay for this one's sins completely, past, present, and future, to give up the glory of heaven for this one. Christ is madly in love with his bride. And that means you, individually and collectively. But at times, I'm not. At times, I relate to others outside of that love. I relate to others selfishly. I relate to others ignorantly. There's something on my schedule. There may be an individual who has something to give me or someone who has something to take away from me or whatever, just those selfish ways. Now, don't worry. I don't think that way all the time, all day long. <laughs> so if you're new here thinking, oh, wow, man, I don't want to be around this pastor. But if I'm honest, I do. And I think if you're honest, you have to admit as well that you fail to discern the body. You fail to relate to others in light of these truths. And he calls us to think about the church through these verses, through these truths, like he does. That the church is most important. The church is most important. The church is most important. And I know that that might, that might strike a, a nerve for some of you. Because there's all sorts of ways to maybe understand what I'm saying. The church is, so just bear with me. The church is most important because the church is one with Jesus. And Jesus is most important. The Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are most important. They're the center of all things. All things are from them, through them, and to them. Through Christ and his work, his death, his resurrection, his righteous life, his reign, his return. God is working all things so that through the Son, the Father would be glorified. So Christ is most important. We get that, right? I think we do. Verses like uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 16, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We get that. We sang, it's all about Jesus. It's all about you. But he loves his church. He loves his bride. His priority is his church. And certainly the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are most important, but closely connected is his church. And so I think we can say the church is most important, not in a way that is over the Trinity, but under and connected to the Trinity when we understand his regard for the church. So the church is most important. I love the picture of the bride that God gives us in Scripture. The church is his bride, and and we see it different places. Revelation chapter 21 speaks of the the finality, the conclusion of all things. It says, uh, in this verse that's projected here, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a picture 
in Revelation of the, of the bride coming, the, the, the end of the age, the bride made ready for this great wedding feast where Christ is the bridegroom. And Christ loves the bride. Like I said, he's madly in love with his bride. He's given his all for this bride. He's giving, he shed his own blood. He lives to intercede for his bride. He reigns for the purpose of his bride. All the power that he's been given through his resurrection and victory over all evil and over all dominions and all names, both spiritual and physical and and all beings, all this power is directed where? To the church, to his bride. His eyes are fixed on his bride. We uh, were at a wedding last week. And I officiated the wedding. It was uh, Lee and Kristen Piero. Uh, and I think they're on their honeymoon right now. So they'll be back in a couple weeks. And like pretty much every wedding I've been to, when... Kristen, when the bride walked down the aisle, the groom's eyes were fixed on his bride. Everything else in that room was mere background for Lee at that moment. His eyes were fixed on his bride. He was anticipating this one whom he loved being united with him in marriage. And Scripture teaches us that for Christ it's the same. His eyes are fixed on his bride. His affections are for his bride. He loves his church. He loves his church. He loves his bride. He's passionate for her. In all her weaknesses and foibles and failures, he is committed to her. He is committing to, committed to perfecting her and finishing the work in her and making her holy for that final day. That's where his attention is. And to love Jesus necessitates that we love his bride. If our eyes are on Jesus, we're going to see where his eyes are fixed. His eyes are fixed on his bride. Now, if we belong to Jesus, we're part of that bride. But if we belong to Jesus, if we love Jesus, we, we must love what he loves. And he loves his church. His eyes are on his church. You would never go to a wedding. I hope you wouldn't. Go to a wedding and at the reception, kind of take the groom aside and say, look, you know, I'm really happy for you. I know you wanted to get married. And we've been really good friends over the years here. And I'm hoping we can keep this friendship going. But your bride is, is just, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to say this, but I, I think she's kind of ugly and she's nasty. And I don't want anything to do with her. But can we still be friends? You, would, you wouldn't do that, would you? Would anyone here do that? No, you would never even think of it. But we do that at times with the church. Jesus, can I have a relationship with you? But can we kind of keep these other people out of it? Can I be a Christian but not be in a local church? Because I've been burned and I've seen how ugly and how nasty the bride can be. And yes, the bride can be ugly and nasty. But we're part of the bride. 
we're part of the problem perhaps maybe not but Jesus loves his bride and he's working in his bride and he's at work in his bride and there are some glorious and beautiful things about the bride Christ himself is present amidst the bride he's perfecting the bride he's calling us to be part of that project and so we are to regard the church the way that he does to love the church the way that he does John Stott says, if the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? If we get a hold of the love of Christ for his bride, it'll give us power to love his bride as well. So I want you to hear today that there's no option. There's no option to have a relationship with Christ and say, well, I just don't want that woman to be around here. To love him is to love his church, be part of his church, capital C, and, and, and live that out by being part of his church, a church, small c. To understand that it's a non-negotiable, but to also understand that you cannot do it on your own. It's only the love of Christ for his church and for you that will fuel you, will give you the power to bear with one another, to forgive when you've been wronged, to hold out hope for change, to be patient, to return love when you're not loved, to forgive freely as you've been forgiven freely. When you ground it in his love for his bride, his love for you, you'll have power to love the bride like Christ does. That's so important. That's, that's the two things I really want you to get today. To love Christ is to love the church. And you can only do that when you know the love of Christ. To live in the love of Christ is to love the church. Now in our closing minutes here, there are some key aspects I want to talk about. There's actually a lot of key aspects, and what I'm doing here is I'm just wanting to address some issues, some, some qualifiers, some stumbling blocks, some obstacles for us as believers in regard to the local church. I'm not sure if I'll get through them all. I'll try to finish in the next five minutes, but let me just touch on some of these. One thing I've been saying throughout this is we must understand that the church is not it's not solely universal, not capital C, the church, all believers. Yes, it is. All believers throughout all time, throughout all places, are, are part of the capital C church. And when Scripture talks about that way, it often means that. So, so Jesus uh, tells Peter, uh, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's speaking of his capital C church and, and Peter's and, and the gospel's role in that. But then he says in a parallel passage in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So this is a situation where there's been somebody who's struggling with sin and it's gotten to the point where it's very serious. And it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So the church here is a local church, a local gathering. So these are used in both ways. The predominance of the use of the word church uh, in Scripture is of a local church. 
And so they're connected, capital C church and small c, in Scripture in a way that, that they're not to be separated. So we need to understand that. They go together. To love his church, capital C, is to love a local church and to love the people in that local church. That should change how we read Scripture. The church is not the building. The church is not the building. It's funny in our culture, right? We, what are you doing this morning? I'm going to church. You don't go to church. You either are the church or you aren't the church. You either belong to Christ and a local body of believers or you don't. And, and so we are the church. And the church isn't a building. It's a spiritual building. Not held together by nails and mortar, but held together by Christ, the truth of the gospel, love for one another, our common mission together. It's not a building. And the word church in Scripture actually comes from a... Uh, not, well, it's in Scripture, but in the English translation. The English word church comes from a, an old word derived from original Greek uh, that means the it's kyrios oikos put that together and you get church eventually through different languages Uh, it means the house of the Lord and so when we speak of the church we're speaking of actually the building but but it's used both ways in in Espanol it's iglesia which is from Greek uh, ecclesia which means gathering that's a better congregation Uh, it's the gathering and that's the word in scripture it's the gathering of God's people that is the church that's important to understand now we have a building thank God but the building isn't the church we are the church the church is above self but not exclusive of self that's so important to understand in our culture we want to put self first we want to put the individual over the group Scripture teaches and upholds the value of the individual. I could go through Scripture and show you. God cares for individuals. But he also cares for the group. And he holds them on par with each other. He doesn't see them as opposed to one another. He sees them as going together and inseparable. And we need to get that. We need to get that as Westerners. We need to get that as New Englanders. New Englanders are notorious for being independent. And it's not how God wants you to see yourself. If you are a believer, you are part of the church and this local church. If you're a member here, a part of this church, and God sees you that way, he sees you as an individual, he sees you as part of the group. They are to fit together. And we must recognize this, and we must be intentional to resist the trend to live independently. There is an idea out there that that somehow it's American or even patriotic to be this rugged individual. And it's not. It doesn't please God for us to live independently. And we have to recognize the tendency in ourselves and resist it and recognize that it goes against Scripture and to see things the way God sees them. So we're going to talk next week, actually, Pastor Jeff is going to talk about the church as community and, and expand on this idea that we're called to community, we're called to one another. And I think our culture is, is starved for genuine community. We've taken this idea of individualism to the point that it's fragmented our culture. It's fragmented, it's made us split apart, and we feel disconnected. We work with different people, we 
we live next to different people, we shop with different people, we just feel lost. And, and so the culture is looking for ways to live out community, looking to, to social media and so forth, which can have a, a good purpose. But we need to understand God's perspective and God's call to community. One more qualify that church is above family, but not exclusive of family. This is an issue for us at times, I believe. As I've looked out, uh, I've seen a trend among Christians. Many are seeking to restore biblical family values, and that's wonderful. Perhaps there's been weakness. Perhaps there's been overlooking of that. But uh, there is a tendency among some in the Christian world to exalt family over church, to not see that church and family go together. It's not family over church. It's family as part of the church. And one aspect of the church as well, another error I see out there is they say that the the church is comprised entirely of families. No, it's not. You know that if you're single, your family isn't here, but you are part of the church. Couples. But it is a key part of the church. It is a key aspect of a means of grace that God uses. Families are oh so important in the roles he calls us to as husbands and wives, fathers and mothers and children. Those are really important roles. Families are a place where God works and develops people and hopefully disciples them into the gospel so that that they may grow up and become fully functioning members of a local church. In some ways, the families are perhaps, I don't know if you can, use an analogy like a farm system to the major leagues. It's a place where your children are to be developed. And you have that prime responsibility. But it's not an end in themselves. You don't develop your children merely to have more families and to exalt family over church. You develop your children to be mature adults, members in a local church. And perhaps in God's providence, part of that is raising their own family. But that's not the goal per se. It's maturity for the church. I'd love to talk with you more about that if you have questions. But I think we can, we can swing the pendulum too far the other way and not understand how family fits together. It's, it's like a, a body is made up of all different types of cells. There are bone cells. There are blood cells. There are mu- muscle cells. All these different types of cells. And family the family cell is an important cell, but not the only cell. And the whole purpose of the, of the body is to be Christ's body, to be mature and to be functioning in a healthy way. I hope that makes sense. That's an implication, an application in light of these things. If the band could come up as, as we close. There's a lot more that we could say. A lot more I could say. And we will get a chance to say some of these things as... The series goes on. It would be about three or four messages this part. But I want us just to hear God's heart, God's word, God's view of the church, and just to consider what God would have you do. There are lots of choices and lots of good choices for local churches, so this is not a, this is not a plea to come to our church and make this your local church. But it is a plea to make, if you are a believer, to make yourself part of some local church. If you're not a believer, it's actually the same plea, but it comes 
with a call first to come to Christ, to know him, to know this amazing love that he would so love us and give himself for us, for our forgiveness and eternal life, and then want to meet us and use us in community to grow as, as his people, to look more and more like him, and to do the things that he did to love those outside the church with his love and touch their lives. So the call is to come to him, to live in him. If you're a believer, to come and be part of a local church. And I would love to talk to you about this one or recommend to you other local churches. I realize, too, that, that for some of us, you know, you've been through something that's been difficult. And we have patience. And God has patience with you to think about, consider different churches. So we want to walk with you in that, but also we want to persuade you and to, uh, to consider, and at some point, appropriate time, to make a choice, to make a decision, to line up your life with how God thinks, to love his church, his bride, as he does. And again, all this is fueled by his amazing love for us. My prayer for you, for all of us, is that God would give us a deep, abiding, overcoming Encouraging, persistent love for his church, this church, King of Grace Church, and really any church that belongs to him. Let's pray. Lord, I give to you all that we've just talked about. I give to you these truths. And I ask you, Lord God, to, to, to speak to us Give us ears to hear, and Lord, produce the fruit that you want. I don't want it to come from my efforts. I want it to come from you. And I ask you, Lord, would you grant us power right now to grasp your love and your love for the church, your love for us, this deep, deep love of Jesus. Lord, if there is hurt in anybody here this morning, I pray you'd bring healing. I pray that your love would overcome that hurt and there would be the power to forgive others. Whether in this room, this church, or some other church, would you grant power to forgive? And would you grant fresh faith for your church? Not because we are perfect or good, but because you are. You are loving and faithful. Renew faith in this. Build up your church. Build up this local church. For our joy your glory and the sake of the lost in greater heaven beyond. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand for our closing.